Hello and welcome to the Rough Trade Edit podcast. This week I'm chatting to one of Rough Trade's favourite artists, Nashville's Margot Price. So Margot's brand new album, That's How Rumours Get Started, is out on the 10th of July on Rough Trade exclusive Yellow Vinyl. And I was lucky enough to catch up with her to discuss anticipation, creation and how she has navigated the unexpected challenges faced collectively and personally over recent months. Margot describes the album as a bona fide summer record. She certainly put a whole lot of love into it and we cannot wait for you to hear it. Do not miss my chat with her coming up a little later on. But first up, let's get into some new edit albums that landed this past week. It was a huge release day this past Friday with new records from Jesse Ware, Becca Mankari, Public Practice. We had the new Mystery Jets album, which is finally out on vinyl. And also the Mighty Krungbin are back with album number three. And if that ain't enough for your ears, then make sure you check out these picks. I have got four highlights to take you through. And up first, we have the wonderful new record from Nadine Shah, who is back with the follow-up to 2017's Holiday Destination. Uh, Kitchen Sink is its title, and it sees Nadine's distinct and determined voice return, albeit a little bit closer to home, with a new collection of songs that explore her own story as a woman in her 30s and the societal pressures and expectations that come with that. Here is my favourite from the record. This is Nadine Shah and Buckfast. Take a swipe at the other in your bed Makes a change from the others in your head And the voices said Pretend to everyone you wish that you were dead Pretend to everyone you wish that you were dead Pottery, release debut album, Welcome to Bobby's Motel. Up next, part post-punk, part art pop and part dance floor acid try. These 11 songs from the Montreal-based band combine to form a commanding, energetic and infectious fusion of music that rattles and rambles hypnotically on in the best way possible. I challenge you not to don your dancing shoes and get down to this one. It's bloody brilliant. Here's a peek at pottery with Texas Drums, part one and two. Love that track. It is so bloody good. I've got a brand new band for you up next, formed of a trio of respected musicians and producers, including Richard Walters, Patrick Pearson, and also current UK Poet Laureate Simon Armitage. LYR is their collective name, and on their debut, Call in the Crash Team, they create these stunning soundscapes built from electronic, post-rock, and also ambient elements that kind of combine with this incredible spoken word to form something really quite striking and very, very unique. Much of what is spoken is quite dark in places, but the bed of music on which it is placed feels quite uplifting and often the soundscapes kind of switch up quite quickly to alter the pace and atmosphere of the songs. I really, really recommend giving this one a listen. It's also out on the Mercury KX label, home to the likes of Oliver Arnold's and Keaton Henson. So if you are a fan of that sound world, you'll definitely be keen to hear this. 
So check out this track from the album. This is 33 and a third. 33 and a third. He forced the door and found in the bedsit the pulsing hook line diamond on vinyl the arm still ploughing the run out spiral Finally, this week, the true story of Banana Gun has been unveiled and man, do you need to dive into this one. Um, Banana Gun hail from Melbourne, but their enticing Lost World exoticism is far, far reaching, stretching through the realms of 60s and 70s Afrobeat, proto-garage rhythmic fury and many, many grooves. It's a rainbow of genius and experimentation of sound and a surefire way to inject sunshine vibes into the drabbest of skies. It's bloody brilliant this. Here's one from the album. Check out Bango the Bongos. So that was this week's Edit Picks. This Friday, we're looking out in particular for the new Dreamwife album, Exploding Into the World, as well as the jazz-tipped, soulfully-minded masterpiece from Keller Kettler. We cannot wait for those. They're also both Rough Trade exclusive editions, so do jump on those as soon as you can, because they are great. Next up, I spoke to Margot Price from her home in Nashville, where she is keeping safe, anticipating the release of her brilliant new album, That's How Rumours Get Started. A big, big thank you to Margot for speaking with me. Please do enjoy her insight, and I will catch you very, very soon. Margot, a very warm welcome to the Rough Trade Edit podcast. I actually reread the wonderful piece you wrote for Vogue again this morning, just because it talks in in detail, of course, about this period and, and of course, personally for yourself, juggling motherhood with your work, your husband, your husband, ill, and losing your very dear friend, John Prine. Um, I think it's beautifully written. It's so honest. And I think for the most part, you know, so much of the feeling that you describe resonates with people all over the world at the moment you know it's been a very scary time it's been a very dark time and we've all been living as I said under this black cloud of uncertainty in it and it's it feels like it's been going on a long a lot longer than it has like it's every day is a is a bit of a struggle I think yeah. particularly you know for someone like yourself whose livelihood is kind of out there on the road and performing and promoting music it feel it must feel like a, a difficult time to kind of be thinking about doing that even from um from home even I suppose yeah I, I would love nothing more than to get out and play shows um but it's just not safe I'm you know they don't really know if you can get this again and I think you know there's there, I've heard that there's like five different strains of it. So I'm, 
I am quite nervous, you know, that after the antibodies wear off, like if my husband gets sick again or my family. And so I just, I want to stay home even though, yeah, that's, that's where we make our money these days because unfortunately not everybody buys um, records. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> I was joking with my manager the other day though, if, if I don't have like a certain amount of disappointments, then my art will suffer because <laughs> it's kind of, you know, just seems to be the pattern of things. And yeah, I, I, I joked a long time ago that if, um, if my music career ever did take off, that the world would end. And now it's, those words are, are really haunting me. It feels very apocalyptic lately. <laughs> oh, I don't know. And I guess I suppose, so at the beginning of, I guess it was end of February, beginning of March, you were sort of gearing up for the beginning of this album journey in terms of promotion and performing. Um, that obviously comes with so much excitement and kind of good nerves, but I guess it was all taken away just so suddenly. You described quite a lot of those feelings in the Vogue piece, but just for the, the purpose of people listening today, I wondered if you could describe kind of what your first response to that was. I guess it was very surreal, but has it just kind of escalated or did you have any idea that we'd be in this situation now? Um, well, yeah, the, you know, the band and I had been practicing for months and months to learn the songs and, you know, they were all really excited to come back and I was... I was really ready to get back to work after, you know, having a baby and, and taking time off. And you worry like, oh, people are going to forget who I am. I got to get back out there and, and start working. And um, and we were all actually in our rehearsal space when we heard the news. I mean, we just read it on the internet. It was like South by Southwest was canceled. And that was such a major um, help for us when my first album came out. Um, we went and played South by Southwest and just it, that kind of skyrocketed everything. Um, the SNL bookers saw us perform in Austin and that's how we got booked for Saturday Night Live because they saw us playing and, and they enjoyed it. So it was, um, it was pretty devastating to find out like, okay, South by Southwest is canceled. Probably everything else is going to be canceled too. And thought at that time, you know, maybe just be a few months. But there was kind of this voice in the back of my head that that knew that it was going to be a, a really long time before we could get back to work and play shows. And it's, um, you know, this. I feel it. It could be years. I mean, everybody's saying, oh, 2021, we'll get back to work. And I just, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have to remain like, um, I have to keep my expectations really low because you, know, you don't want to be heartbroken by reality. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess, did you kind of kick into survival mode a bit? Has it been really difficult to stay creative and kind of find alternate ways to connect with your audience because I know you've done some radio shows and some performances online for fans over the last couple of months but I suppose it's also hard to think about promoting an album when there's so much bad things going on not only for everyone else outside of you but for you personally and within your family that is a lot to to kind of juggle. Yeah, I mean, I, I have my mother here now. She's been helping me um, 
for the first three months, we had, you know, we didn't see any grandparents or obviously, you know, no babysitters or anything. And that was really hard. I mean, I had my daughter just turned one and she doesn't sleep through the night still. She's um, very hands on. It's, you know, a full time job. And so, yeah, it was, it was challenging, but, you know, I, I find myself connecting with music in a way that I, even just as a listener, um, in a way that I haven't in a really long time. I just found myself kind of seeking shelter through, you know, listening to albums and like, it, I don't know, it kind of feels like in a way it's, you know, brought me back down to earth or gardening. We have, we're about to have like, 2000 tomatoes in our garden and we've got strawberries and blackberries growing and um you know I'm trying to kind of see the positives in all of it and um yeah. I just kind of began writing songs again and just writing lyrics and and you know I I think that no matter what happens, even if I can't perform on stage, I'm always going to be an artist and I'm going to be able to record lots of albums over this period and, you know, write books and paint. And, and that has kind of been my, my saving grace. Your record is out on the 10th of July. That's how we must get started. It's your third album. We are so, so excited for it. Um, originally, of course, it was due to be released in May. And due to these circumstances, it's obviously coming out a little bit later. Do you think that what's happened in the last few months and all that's going on has changed at all the way that you hear your record? Does it sound different to how it would have done back in February, for example? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple tracks that have kind of altered meanings and, um, you know, the, the lyrics are always going to kind of be, you know, a piece of me, but mm-hmm. I, I think maybe people will hear it differently than they would have um, if it would have came out, yeah, like a year ago or or so. There's a song um, I closed the album with a song called "I'd Die for You," and uh, that one is kind of my my favorite lyrically. Um, I think that you know not only what's going on with the pandemic, but there's revolution of Black Lives Matter going on and um, especially everything that's happened in Nashville with the tornado and, and gentrification and um, that that song kind of hits hardest for me. Mm. I think like what you described about this time being at home and kind of connecting with music more deeply, I think could be said for a lot of people. So I suppose releasing your record now, even for fans, I suppose they might look and sort of hear it in a different way and look for those extra layers. Um, I feel like we've all been conditioned into listening more and kind of taking more meaning from things. I think for me personally, I definitely have. Just because you've yeah. had time and I feel like the world slowed down a bit. It, it really has. I mean, even just, you know, when you do get to see friends, we've ha- had some outside 
very small groups of people, you know, come sit around the fire. And it's like, you just see people engaging more in conversation and just speaking and listening more deeply. And, you know, it's like people aren't on their phones because it's such an amazing thing just to be able to see someone outside from a distance is, you know, feels like a very special thing. Because, I mean, we went, yeah, 90 days with absolutely no one coming over to the house except people to drop groceries at the door. And now, you know, it's it's been... Yeah, it's been eye-opening in a lot of ways. Have you managed to kind of keep in touch a lot with like fellow musicians and friends um, in terms of like a support kind of mechanism, you know, to kind of keep positive or just have people to talk to, I guess, and share in what you're going through? Yeah, I mean, my band and I have a group thread that, you know, is always going on. People are always talking on it. Um, and that has kind of been, you know, we always send funny pictures and like memories of what we were doing, you know, a year ago or a few years ago on the day. Um, so that's been, you know, I feel like it's brought us all closer in a way, even though we don't really see each other very often. Um, and then I've got a few girlfriends, a few other musicians that I do talk with and, you know, just message with, kind of check in on each other. It's... Yeah, it's important. I mean, I I feel like I've had a few girls that I do that with. Um, my friend Elizabeth Cook, she's uh, a musician and a DJ on Sirius XM. But yeah, we, her and I, you know, you end up like not really getting to see a lot of your friends when you tour because either you'll be gone or they'll be gone and you can go months or like even years without seeing friends. But my friend Elizabeth and I, we always kind of check in on each other and you know just even when we're out on the road we're like I hope you're getting enough sleep and eating healthy and not losing your mind out there so it's kind of you know sometimes it just feels like things are normal but then you (laughs) kind of get brought back to what's going on and yeah yeah Um, I wanted to rewind a bit to kind of the inception of the record. Um, It's produced, co-produced by Sturgill Simpson, who you've known and obviously worked with for many years. Um, How how did Sturgill kind of come into this album? Was he there from the beginning? Did you bring him on board kind of when you had the ideas for the record in place? How how did that kind of work? Um, So... Sturgill and I have known each other for a good long time and um, he just really wanted to produce the record and um, you know I, I trust him and his his ideas and you know we we just kind of started talking about how we would build the band and it all happened very organically um, it seems like an eternity ago now because it was, we began talking like about this maybe beginning of 2018. Okay. Um, and yeah, we just went out, got dinner, me and him and David Ferguson. And I, you know, I was really adamant on 
recording it in Los Angeles. So he picked out a few studios and sent them to me. And we decided upon um, East West, which is really cool studio, has a lot of history. Um, we recorded in the smallest room that they have there. And it's the same room that Beach Boys made Pet Sounds. Um, Dolly Parton recorded 9 to 5. Tom Petty recorded Wildflowers there. Um, it's just got a really uh, good history of great albums being made in there. So we got in the studio and, you know, everybody kind of played live in the room and we were all very close to each other. I was in like a little kind of glass isolation booth for some of it. And um, yeah, it just, it went great. We recorded 16 songs, but the album has 10. Mm-hmm. And then um, we came back to Nashville to finish it. And I was still going out and doing like a show here or there. But at that point I was um, maybe like five, six months pregnant. And so I would just come into the studio and uh, a place called the butcher shop that is no longer open anymore. It just closed like a couple weeks ago and it's over in Germantown. Really cool little, very quaint studio. And um, we were able to work on it a ton. I mean, we just, anytime that Sturgill and I would be off the road, we would go in and work on vocals or percussion or, um, you know, we had a lot of people come in and do harmonies, this gospel choir that is in town. They're called the Nashville Friends Gospel Choir. And they sing on my um, Live at the Ryman album also that I put out. But um, it was just really great experience. We, I'm, I'm really happy with the way that this record turned out. I think sonically it's, and, you know, even the songs, I think it's the best thing I've done so far. Not to, you know, discredit my first couple records, but I've, I've learned a lot from being on the road and just performing the last four years. I feel like I've, I've grown as a, a singer. I guess playing live, we've touched on this before, but it's, it's obviously so sorely missed from all of our lives. But I guess it's, it's such a huge part of who you are as a musician and it's a way of life for you. Um, how much does playing live and the reaction from your audience inform how you kind of write music and, and what you write and maybe in particular in relation to this record? Yeah. Um, we, you know, I, I try not to like get too tired of my songs by, you know, playing them like before the record's out, but I do like to test new material and, um, we've been playing, quite a few of the songs, um, you know, you, you just, you see how they, how they go over with the crowd and, you know, it is, it's a nice like gauge of, uh, you know, what, what works. Sometimes there's songs that work in the studio great and they're recorded, but then, you know, it's like, oh, maybe that one's not as good live. And, um, like for this album, we, like I said, we recorded 16 songs and, there's um, a song that we performed at the Ryman that got like a huge reaction. And I ended up leaving it off the record just because I didn't feel like it fit with the other songs. I mean, I'm sure we'll put it out like as a single or a B-side to a single um, at some point. But I think, you know, with this, I just, I wanted something that felt like really cohesive and like you put it on and it 
just feels seamless. Yeah. I think um, it's interesting that you say that you, you, you know, you don't like to play too many of the songs before uh, you've kind of put the record out. So I guess, does that kind of add to the excitement of when you have created the record and then you're taking it out for the first time, it's almost fresher than it would have been if you'd played a bunch of several gigs before. Like it's kind of... Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I was really looking forward to, you know, doing these songs live and we had, that's why we've been practicing so much because one of the things that's great about the road is that you, know, you get out there and the songs kind of like develop more. They keep growing after you've recorded them. And, um, I, you know, we had created like extended, you know, solos and, um, like transitions in between everything. And so, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough, but like, um, we're doing a couple like recordings with the band now. I mean, I, you know, everybody has been doing all these acoustic things and it's been nice, but there's really nothing like playing music with other people, you know, it's such a huge piece of what music is, is, um, like the bond that it creates between people. But, uh, we are going to film a couple things to like, so, you know, we can still play the album and people can watch it online. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel ready for the record to come out now? I know you've obviously waited quite a while since the original release date, but do you feel like this is the right time? I do. Um, I'm, I'm just ready to get it out there so I can, you know, start recording and writing the next one. Um, and there is, there's a lot going on, but I have found so much solace in listening to Lucinda Williams' new album and Bob Dylan's and Fiona Apple's record. I think, you know, that kind of, for me, been so therapeutic. So I'm thinking I can get my album out and people enjoy listening to it. But then that's, my job is done, you know. I think, you know, your release or album and then I suppose... A bit like you spoke about just there, about other artists' records that you've enjoyed and kind of found some solace in. I'm sure the same will be said for your record. I know you did a little video for us, um, for our Instagram, where you shared some of the records that you've been listening to at home. And just things like that, I think, are so nice because I guess you realise that everybody's in the same boat and we all need to support each other, but that we all have our own individual craft and you can kind of give more time to it, like we kind of said earlier, that people can kind of really listen and reflect and enjoy it yes yeah I I think this album always felt like a summer album to me anyway and I had initially wanted to release it like spring or summer of 2019 and then I unexpectedly got pregnant which was a beautiful surprise but you know everything got pushed back and then I thought you know all right well at least I can get it out spring next year but it's, I think it feels like a summer record. I think it, it does to me. And we've even got um, a Rough Trade exclusive yellow version, which can only be a summer edition, <laughs> I would say. That is so cool. Um, we are so excited about this record. Um, I think it even says on the album page on our website that um, Margot probably in the eyes of Rough Trade. 
So we are clearly huge, huge fans of yours. And obviously we'd love to have you over playing in the shops this summer. I'm pretty sure that won't be possible, but of course, whenever the next opportunity arises, we can't well wait to have you back. Oh, I love Rough Trade. I have some really great memories of, you know, playing inside of, you know, in New York and across the pond. Um, I remember walking in and seeing like a, you know, how the floor is covered with lots of different records and there's like murals and stuff. And I, I remember seeing a mural of myself and I thought, okay, I've made it. I'm in rough trade. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice to hear. That's really, really great to hear. No, I think it's, it's really nice as well that we've, you know, been a fan for so long because I think that's one of my favorite things about kind of any music environment or community is, is watching an artist grow and kind of following their career. And it, I think it's really exciting to do that. And you're definitely an artist for us, so that's really brilliant. Oh, thank you. Leia had been coming to the UK like long before my solo project even, and I had a band called Buffalo Clover. And, um, you know, we didn't really do too much, but we had a a decent amount of like reviews from the UK. It just seems like people over there were uh, quicker to catch on than to what I was doing than in the States. And I mean, even when we go play shows over there, there's just this kind of attentiveness that you don't get um, all over America. I mean, there's little, uh, little pockets like, you know, where people actively um, listen and engage in the show. I think, you know, like Minneapolis always kind of feels a bit, like that and um you know but there's there's something really special about about the UK and about UK fans so I'm really looking forward to making it over there and that's kind of one of the most unfortunate things about not being able to tour is not being able to see uh new places and you know get the experience of just seeing how other people live and soaking in all the things that a city, um, you know, makes you feel. Yeah. I guess that's the thing about touring, isn't it? You, you must get surprised so often in a really lovely way about how far your music stretches, how many people know of you and, you know, are excited to come to your gigs and, and particularly if you've never been there before, or if you feel that maybe you, you know, your music could be in a certain bubble and then it's, you know, going further and further each time, I suppose, with every record. Yeah, without a doubt, I've been like shocked when I go, we'll go to a venue and then, you know, and I'll be walking around in the neighborhood because the bus will park at wherever we're at and I'll go into some like bookstore or coffee shop. And usually I'm like wearing no makeup and probably (laughs) maybe still wearing my pajamas and then someone will come up and recognize me and it always still throws me off guard. Margot, thank you so, so much for chatting to us. Um, wish you all the very best with putting the record out. Um, we're so glad that you and your family are, are doing well. And I know it's going to be an incredibly tricky time. No one can say for sure what's going to happen, but hopefully of course, things will get better. We'll take positives from this and hopefully the outlook is, is a lot brighter and we will see you very, very soon. Yes, thank you so much for having me and stay Stay well and I'll 
I'll see you sometime. <laughs> could you, before we wrap up, could you pick a track from the album that we could play in the show, possibly one of the singles that you're particularly kind of excited to, to get out there and that has maybe a special meaning for you? Yeah, um, I'm going to have to go with Letting Me Down. I just recently released a video for this and um, the song is one in particular that kind of feels like it's changed meaning. I mean, the chorus says, everybody's lonely. Um, oh, babe, just look around. You've got a way of letting me down. And we we did a video for this that was filmed in my home. And I'm kind of alone with a lot of different versions of myself. Um, we also trespassed on federal property for the end of the video. There's, I, I dance in an empty, abandoned, insane asylum that's like old, haunted, uh, really amazing place out in West Tennessee. And um, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good video for isolation and quarantine. <laughs> a good song for it. I will share the link to that in the description of this podcast so that people can watch along. <laughs> amazing, thank you. Aldo, thank you so much. Um, we will see you very, very soon. All right. See you down the highway. They don't make them like you no more. Mama's working at the liquor store. Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do, so if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.